Welcome to Greenfluence, the podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing, and climate change. I'm Sophia, your content and podcast editor, and I can't wait for you guys to listen to this week's pod. Our very special guest this week is Gordon Renault, the founder and CEO of Good On You, the world's leading source of trusted brand readings focusing on ethical and sustainable fashion. Get ready for the final episode of season three, episode 11. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to another pod. I'm here with Angela, your um, marketing officer, and I think we've also done a pod together with Andrew. So this is Angela's second time. How are you feeling, Angela? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's going to be a really interesting episode because the topic itself is one of my favorites and it's just a topic also that needs to be spoken about a lot more. 100%. Um, I I think when I think of fast fashion, I think of growing up in a social media frenzy um, as a teenager, understanding fashion was almost very much embedded into my self-confidence, how I see myself and how I picture myself fitting into society. And because of this concept that's been embedded it into us from a very young age I think we grow up with fast fashion being um, our only access into uh, looking a certain way fitting into society so I'm really curious on uh, how the fashion industry is going to shape the future for for fashion sustainability so fashion and um, I'm really curious um, on learning about accountability in this in this space and how we can become more ethical as consumers. What about you, Angela? 100%. And I think because from a young age, I feel like all of this stems from when you're younger, when you're exposed more to uh, big brands commercializing their products, such as I grew up with Nike, Adidas. Those were my big top brands that I loved. And just understanding um, how those brands use uh, fashion techniques and marketing techniques to target young people that mostly use social media and might become influenced by some of the actions they take. So I think in this coming age where we become more conscious of what we buy, what the impact it can make, I feel like brands should really be on top of this. And some of them do, some of them don't, but it's definitely a learning curve for a lot of organisations. 100%. And we've got a pretty packed episode for you guys, um, for everyone tuning in. And today we're joined with Gordon, the founder and CEO of Good On You, the world's leading sustainability rating system for fashion brands. Good On You's brand directory and blog makes sustainable fashion choices easy for millions of people around the world. He's also the deputy chair of the Consumer Federation of Australia and a director for the telecommunications industry um, ombudsman scheme. Before starting Good On You, Gordon was a consumer advocate for 30 years, including as head of campaign at Choice and a board member of Con- Consumers International. He studied a Bachelor's of Arts majoring in philosophy and economics from the University of Sydney, later studying law at the University of New South Wales and starting a graduate certificate in social impact from which he dropped out to start Good On You. Welcome, Gordon. How are you going today? I'm great, thanks. Hi, Angela. Hi, Shri. Hi, Gordon. So good to have you. Very diverse background as well, as you can see, which is awesome. Amazing. Oh, my God. Oh, well, it's just what you accumulate along the way when you get to my advanced years. (laughs) Uh, I, I think we've got such a packed episode for, for everyone tuning in. And before we get into the nitty gritty of Good On You, um, we, we just wanted to touch base on how it all started. Um, we we want to start off with your academic background. You first gained a bachelor's degree in art, studying philosophy and economics, then went off to complete a law degree and started this graduate certificate in social impact. How has this 
wide range of academic knowledge and qualifications helped you in your line of work today as CEO and chair? Well, I think my first degree, it was back in the days of more or less free degree. And I think my thinking about that was simply an opportunity to grow up and to learn about stuff generally. Uh, it was not, there was nothing career focused about that choice. And I think that that's one of the potentially important things about a university degree is just to kind of find your place in the world. Uh, I spent as much time playing music in bands or working in a job to support myself as I did going to university. Not that I didn't learn quite a lot in those philosophy and economics kinds of fields. But then I did become a lawyer and I worked in the legal aid sector. And uh, um, I guess the focus there was much clearer. And my focus was on social justice, as we now call it, um, on providing services to people who uh, were disadvantaged by the social and legal systems and using the law as a way to understand um, their problems, provide support, but also importantly to identify ways in which the legal system and laws should change and be involved in advocacy to have those changes put in place. Um, and really that's what led me to the consumer movement and for a number of decades I've been involved in the consumer movement and advocating for consumer rights in one way or another, whether that's in relation to law reform or in relation to access to information uh, or changes in company practice. I guess that's a, that's a theme that sort of ties it all together for quite some time. And so I guess being in that space and, and, and guess moving along beyond specifically legal solutions to social problems, I guess um, learning I did around community and social development, but also then later about social impact and social entrepreneurship as a, a way to harness the power of business to create positive change as well. Um, it's kind of led me to where we are. Amazing. Um, I, I think from your experiences and your academic background it, it seems like it, it's been quite a journey and I can understand where you're coming from because once you do you know qualification like uh, the the social impact graduate certificate you started and the law degree you completed there there is this urge to make an impact and I'm I'm so keen to learn about how how you do this and how you've gone about in, in your journey to figure out how you can make the best impact um and it's it's really important to be making an impact individually in this space because we are all consumers we are all consumers by by birth technically and this fashion uh like this race this this race to fit into society and this this concept of fast fashion has consumed everyone. Like it, it doesn't discriminate where you are, who you are. Like it, it, it's really in everyone's lives. And either, either you're a consumer or you're directly affected by it. Um, and we'll go into you know uh, supply chain management and other things in a in a second. But um, I think. It's just so interesting to explore this area and it's important to be um, talking about this and actively advocating for um, uh, in, in this area. How about you, Angela? What do you think? And I think it's, it's definitely important because this isn't just a economic um, perspective. This is more global. It's trying to reach more people as it goes along. And um, this just impacts, like I said earlier, like the social media and a lot of young people are influenced by uh, consumer choices. If they see a trend, they'll want to, if they're really up for it, they'll want to do it. And they just, they would most likely show it to other people as well, which continues a pattern of um, this phenomenon. So I, I agree with you, Shree, on that point. And even this pattern of um, this trend. Once low fashion becomes a trend, I, I do believe we can make impact in that area. Once we once we talk about um, more ethical choices and we see more young people in this space um, taking initiative to become more educated and having those resources put out for them to learn more and, um, and making these decisions um, 
more accessible, I think that will become the forefront of movement as well. Um, I think for a lot of young people, I think main thing is, you know, fast fashion, um, that they, they want to consume it because it's affordable, it's easy, and, you know, you can you can have it with a click of a button. Can we do the same for slow fashion? And, um, or, or is it just thinking about fashion in a different perspective? Um, so I, I'm going to hand it over to, to, to you, Angela. So I'm going to introduce Gordon's fabulous uh, company, which was co-founded also with Sandra Caponi. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, Gordon. Um, So Good On You is a platform worth talking about. Why? Because this service is accessible for users to learn more about fashion brands. In saying that, we'll be thrilled to hear directly from what Good On You aims to provide for its audience and how it hits the target in addressing certain sustainability challenges. Good on you, Gordon. Uh, The service measures a brand's sustainability efforts through three main criteria. There's people, planet, and animals. How are these three factors important into finding out how brands and companies are meeting their sustainability targets? Um, Well, if I take a step back and and kind of give you a bit of context about why Good On You does what it does, how it does, um, I think when we think about consumers making sustainable choices, um, I guess there's a few things we need to think about. The first is um, why do we want consumers to make more sustainable choices? And I said, I, I guess that's because we believe that in doing so, not only is that individual choice causing less harm or doing good, but it's also sending a signal to producers, to brands and companies that um, that's what consumers want, and that signal from the market, if you like, is something which will uh, lead those companies, if it's strong enough, to to act to act to change how they produce things, or for new companies to be born, which have sustainability at the core of their mission, rather than just being something they've tried to bolt on later. And so, um, some would say, well, why can't we just? pass laws that solve the problems and not have the consumer worry about it. Some would say consumers just don't want, want to get on doing their stuff. All products should be sustainable, so let's make it so. And, and I think there's a number of um, problems here, the first of which is that um, it's quite hard to pass laws that do that. There's lots of people who don't think we should pass that laws and we should leave it to the market and leave it to people to make their own decisions about what they should buy. And secondly, I think sometimes this is framed as, oh, we must educate and uh, encourage and incentivize consumers to do the right thing, to buy better. But actually, research shows that at least 50% of consumers already want to do the right thing. Uh, well, that's perhaps the right thing, it's not the right phrase. What they want to do is make choices which both meet their practical needs, um, get them the kind of product that they want, but also align with their values uh and align with the world they want which um is a world which you know is still here in 50 years time and which treats other people and animals fairly nobody goes out to buy a sustainable product per se in every time that you buy or rent or borrow a uh, and make any kind of consumer choice you are uh you're fulfilling a need or a desire you're doing something that's meeting a need for you and so you you want the product to meet that need and you also want it to be sustainable and aligned with your values. And so it's not about saying this is the sustainable option, you should buy it. It's about helping consumers find the best balance between, you know, the kind of, in this case, clothing that they want and the kind of um, uh, and, and the values that they want. So, so what Good On You is doing is trying to say, well, you as a consumer, you might look at any brand in the market but it should be as easy to know how that product or brand impacts on what you care about as it is to know the features and price of the product. So our aspiration, at the moment you can go into a shop and you can see the dress is black, it's got a high neck and it's got long sleeves and it costs 100 bucks, right? But you don't know where it was made. Uh, If you look inside, you might see the label that you might see that the final production was in India or something. Australia, but you don't know much about where it was made. You know nothing about, um, you know, how it was made, the dyes that were used, whether the cotton's organic or not, unless the brand chooses to tell you. And so uh, 
what we're trying to do is two things. One, incentivize brands to tell you directly everything that you want to know about the product, but also to summarize that information into a quick, easy to use score. And so you get a rating for how does this brand perform compared to all other brands for impacts on animals, for impacts on people, for impacts on the environment. And, and we give you some more detail. So we have developed a methodology for rating all the brands in the world against about a thousand different data points uh, about how brands impact in those three pillars of people, planet and animals. And then we reduce that down to very simple information that you can use as a consumer by checking our website, checking the good on your app or um, checking the information that some retailer partners of good on you provide to their customers. Yeah. And I have used this app before um, when Shri was telling me about you, Gordon, and the uh, service that Good On You provides. I was like, okay, I have to download it, see what it's all about. And you'd be surprised the brands, um, what their criteria is and how they rate as well, which some of them were not a surprise to me because there's a lot of background uh, context there. But some of them were just like, oh, like this is really interesting to figure out. And um those three factors, they do play a role. And you're right about the impact uh, statement that you made. Um, businesses, it's up to the business to decide how they want to describe the impact of a certain product um, in comparison to the price that they display. What do you think, Shri? I think I echo your thoughts there, Angela. I think just with Good On You's framework with meeting standards for um, for the well-being and um, the protection of animals, I kind of want to explore how how they do that because we've we've heard of supply chain management, but how how do how does um, Good on You get that data for animal? I said before that it's it's not our job to tell consumers how to behave. It's our job to assist consumers uh, realize their desire for purchasing sustainably, and that fifty percent of consumers or more feel bad when they're not able to do that, and so. What we say, and we're not the only ones, we say is that as consumers, we have a right to buy products that align with our values. We, just as we have a right to buy safe products, just as we like as have a right to have information about products, we have a right to consume responsibly. The sustainable development goals adopted by all the countries in the world through the UN say, sustainable De development goal 12 says that we're looking for um, sustainable systems of production and consumption. And so, uh, that's closely related to this right that I assert we have to to consume sustainably, to consume in in, in um, uh, correspondence with our values. And so, if we as consumers have a right to do that, then producers, brands have an obligation to be transparent about how they're uh, making products, and they've got an obligation to be transparent about all the things that are objectively material to that consumer decision making. And so. What we do is that we look at a particular area, let's say environment, and we say in clothing, in apparel and footwear, what are the, what are the issues that most um, impact the environment? Where are the biggest environments, in, environmental impacts in the supply chain for clothing and footwear? And we group them into four main areas. One is climate change, of course. One is water impacts. One is resource uses and waste. And one is um, chemical pollution, chemical impacts. And so, Within each of those, we then have a number of specific questions. Again, we've looked at, well, what is best practice, excuse me, what is best practice for a brand to undertake to be addressing the climate emergency in their production processes? Uh, and, and that would be things like they need to be measuring their impacts, they need to be reporting their impacts, they need to set targets for reducing their impacts, and then they need to actually reduce their impacts. And and ideally, they're doing that in um, what's called a science-based initiative framework, which is the best practice target setting. But even if they're not using that, they need to be doing those four things. And so what we're looking for is a brand report saying we are doing those things. Either we've set a science-based target initiative, science-based initiative target, sorry, or we're, um, you know, measuring, reporting, reducing and so on. And so if a brand does not tell its stakeholders, including its customers, what it's doing, we will mark it down. Uh, and then if they are, then we are going to be um, assessing uh, based on the clarity and specificness of specificity of the communication that the brand is making. 
And so uh, the, the, this methodology allows us to assess any brand. So if a brand comes along and say, we're not going to tell you anything, then they're going to get a very low good on you score because they're uh, thumbing their nose at consumers' right to know. Uh, and they're not being accountable to their stakeholders, not just consumers, but also investors, workers, civil society, etc. <clears throat> Uh, whereas if they are communicating, then uh, we expect them to communicate clearly and we look at things that they've actually done, not not, not at things that they're promising to do in the future um, because there's been too many cases where people have said, we will introduce living wages by you know 2018 and it's 2022 and they still haven't done it, that kind of thing. Right. So this rating system is, um, it is more about um, allowing consumers to understand what sort of regulatory and um, choices the, these companies are making. And from that information, consumers are going and, um, and and doing their own research and going more into it. I, not, I wouldn't say quite like that. I would say that this rating system says we have consulted with experts to work out what are the most material issues that a brand should be addressing if it's doing a good job on environment, environmental impact. Uh, and then... Um, we are collecting all that information and weighting it according to the, you know, consensus view about which is more or less important for environmental impact. And then we're reducing that down to a simple score. So you as a consumer doesn't have to do all that research. I mean, you can if you like, but eight out of 10 consumers just want to say, are these guys trustworthy? Do they have a scientifically valid method? Oh, they do. Well, if they say this brand is high rated, that's good enough for me. And then 20% of consumers will say, no, tell me more. And that's why beyond our rating of, um, you know, four out of five overall, three out of five for labor, four out of five for environment, et cetera, we also provide some data, some information on exactly what the brand is doing in each of the most important areas that are driving their score. So for those 20% of consumers who want to get more information, uh, that that's available to some extent. Okay, amazing. So just moving on to this concept of greenwashing, I want to touch on how we as a society, we, we almost want to go towards every trend that's just blown up out of proportion. And in terms of greenwashing, a lot of popular fashion brands, they get blown up for um, doing little things like, um, having a recycled fibres collection or um, little things that sort of attribute to greenwashing but they're not directly um, linked to greenwashing. As in, yes, they are helping in some way but they aren't really making much impact. I, I kind of want to touch on this concept of greenwashing and, and what you think of this, Angela, and how you've experienced it in your day-to-day life. So just for our audience to be in the know, um, in case not many people might not know what greenwashing is, greenwashing can occur when organisations, or even large or small, um, may present false or misleading information about the efforts they make in sustainability or their services to the environment. Um, This is more often a marketing trick. Um, Please correct me if I'm wrong, Gordon, on that. Um, And this is usually done to draw in consumers' um, as sustainability becomes more relevant and more important in society nowadays. Um, so greenwashing can be seen pretty much most on social media, I would say. Um, I'm a person that uses TikTok. Uh, shame, shamefully, I use TikTok. And um, I've seen a lot of trends from big brand names. Uh, I don't want to say them explicitly who they are, but it might be, oh, this dress is going to fit everyone. It's a one size fit all. It's those kind of standards that you might see online. Um, in terms of sustainability, they might make an ad. This is made from um, recycled fibers, uh, fibers materials. When the impact and the actual where the material is sourced may not be fully disclosed, which is an unfortunate thing to see. Um, Shri, what are your thoughts on this? I, I agree with you. I, I think generally when I think of a lot of fashion brands um, and I think of just shopping and um, when I think of a lot of uh, new collections that 
talk about being recycled. I understand that they're being recycled, but what's the deeper impact? And like Gordon just touched on, do we look deeper into what's their impact into our water systems? These chemicals that are being produced, even when they're being recycled, are they are they disclosing all that? Just because the label is, hey, it's being recycled doesn't necessarily mean that they're sustainable, quote unquote. So I think it's it, it, it's really interesting um, to, to see how we as a society are going towards certain brands because they market themselves to be um, this sustainable solution to our fashion crisis. But I kind of want to touch on um, this this concept of H and M and their own their, their trends that are appearing right now with a, a lot of their recycled fa- fabrics collection, but also they have this concept of hey, if you come in with a bunch of clothes, we will give you X amount of money for it or things like that, which I think there are good trends per se, but what what is it really doing i think that it's distracting people from understanding really what they should be doing with their fashion waste and what they should be doing with you know looking into a particular fashion brand so even if you know h&m is saying oh i'm doing all this initiative doesn't mean h&m as as a whole is sustainable but they are making steps but are we looking further into that very gradual steps, I would say. I think um, you touched on quite a few different issues there and um, probably worth talking about um, what we mean by greenwashing, what consumers can do in their own life and then specifically talk about specific claims like recycled. Um, so, you know, broadly speaking, as you say, greenwashing, greenwashing is a, a marketing technique um, where essentially you are in some way not telling the truth, not telling the full story and and, and in, as a result misleading consumers to thinking that a product is more sustainable than it really is. Um, and greenwashing, as you say, Angela, is a problem because people are more and more, merchants are finding that people are more and more responding to uh, information about the sustainability of products. And um, there's a whole bunch of reasons that that might be so but we could leave that for the moment but um sustainability is 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 selling better and so people want to say either we don't want to lose customers who think we're not sustainable or we want to gain customers who think we're more sustainable and so then we look at the types of greenwashing and and there, there is a book that's been around for quite a long time 20 plus years called the seven sins of greenwashing which does identify seven specific ways in which brands Greenwash, but probably two or three are worth going through to give an idea. So one is just simply, uh, one is using vague language. So when we say, hey, everything's natural or, hey, this stuff's eco-friendly, it doesn't have a very concrete meaning. And that that is a very, you know, poor and bald-faced kind of greenwashing uh, if it doesn't have anything behind it. Um, a word like natural can be quite confusing because people have a prejudice against oil-based plastic-type products, which, of course, is justified but it's not the case that just because something's natural it is necessarily less harmful for the environment um business as usual cotton in particular has a lot of environmental problems um and uh, including high pesticide use high water use high environmental um, greenhouse gas emission impacts <clears throat> not to mention some of the terrible um labor issues involved so that's one kind of greenwashing but another kind i think is the one that Shri was averting to is where a brand will have uh, a claim about a product but it's only one aspect of the product and doesn't look at the whole story so again we could it may be that um uh well i mean one of the worst types of claims is where the focus is all on the packaging so hey we have recycled packaging and or, or worse still recyclable packaging um nearly everything um well, you know, having recycled packaging is great, but it's like one tiny step towards the goal you want to get to. Uh, having recycled packaging is a little bit better, um, but uh, it's still, it's a small part of the overall environmental footprint of a, of a, of a product. Yeah, so, so you know, greenwashing is, is claims which distract from the true impact of the, of the product, essentially. Um, and then if we talk particularly about materials, now, 
one of the things about materials, um, particularly for smaller brands with small runs, the material choices are a really big part of the environmental impact of a product. And so if a brand has chosen the best materials for that particular kind of product or significantly better materials for that kind of product, so organic cotton, it's not perfect, but it's a lot better than regular cotton on both pesticide and water use, definitely on pesticide use, mostly on water side use and on greenhouse gas emissions, something like 50% less. Um, you know, that's, that's, that is a good step in the right direction. It's not, it's not like packaging is kind of like, that's the only thing you're doing. I'm thinking that's greenwashing. But if you are, if your main issue, if your main improvement is to make your products from 100% organic cotton, then I think that's, that you get a credit for that, I reckon. You, you may not get a distinction, but you get a credit. So um, I think that's a step in the right direction. So then the third thing we want to talk about was what, what do consumers do in this really confusing sea of claims? And I guess um, there is, I mean, Obviously, one option is to use Good On You and get the easy way, but where Good On You is not available, if you don't want to and want to look after yourself, then I think um, you do have to do a bit of work to learn what are the most material impacts of the kind of product class that you're buying, if it's, if it's fashion. Um, what are the things that a brand should be doing? Again, Good On You does have some information about the kinds of things a brand should be doing, but but what, what you want to avoid is being sucked in by very broad statements like everything's natural, everything's eco-friendly, uh, or by companies which have some products which are great and a lot of products which are terrible, uh, or by, um, you know, claims which are only about one or two things to do with the product. I guess you really want to look for um, a brand. Oh, and the fourth thing is statements about what we're going to do in the future don't really count. I mean... It's a tiny step in the right direction, but actually they haven't done anything yet. All they've done is put some words on paper saying, we're going to do this. And you don't know how serious their commitment is. And there's been so many cases where people have not um, delivered on their commitments. So what you're looking for is very specific statements of what we have done. We have made all of our products from this material and this material and this material. We source all our products from this factory in this country um, we inspect our factories every every uh, six months. We comply with EU laws about, which are stricter than everybody else's laws, about chemical use. Um, we ban these dyes. Um, you know, we have uh, vegetable tan leather. So, so there is a bit of learning to be done, but the, the, the core easy takeaway is you want concrete specific statements about quite a broad range of issues and you don't want future statements and you don't want vague statements. No, very good. And I think you touched a really um, strong point about the packaging, um, the materials that are being sourced. And what brought to my mind, I don't know about your, yourself, Shree and Gordon, but I think of PR packaging from certain celebrities and or from small brands. They may produce, like, let's say one small product, but they package it in a really big box. And that kind of contributes in my mind that, first of all, one big box for a small product is just a little bit of a waste to me and unnecessary as well. And it's just those little things that you might not think uh, contribute a lot to waste or sustainability, but it does make a big impact. Um, this is just in regards to the PR packaging. And I find these things very interesting in my mind. What about you guys? It's important to look at the whole impact of the brand. I mean, the best kind of brand is a brand that says, and in, in a credible way, we have thought about our impacts across our entire supply chain and we've done this, 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 this and this. And if they've done all those things, it's probably okay for them to say, and we're going to do this and this. It's where people say, oh, we've just adopted this target and that's kind of their strategy that I don't like it. Um, I, I think, you know, um, often some things are much more salient to us because they're there in front of us and we can see them. So, you know, we can go, oh, my God, that product has plastic wrapping. And now plastic wrapping might be bad, but if everything else about that product was good, uh, that would be a better choice than this other product, which was everything else about it was bad, but it was in a recycled cardboard box of the right size, right? So I think we, we need to have some general understanding of the, of the, of the impacts. Uh, you know, brands can talk about how their retail shops have... Um, LED lighting. Well, that's great, but it's that that energy impact compared to the energy impact of the use or non-use of recycle of renewable energy rather in their factories and the the, the choices they're making about materials. That, that those impacts on greenhouse gas emissions are orders of magnitude bigger than you know using LED lights or um, having recycled packaging. No. 
Fantastic. And I'll just move on to the next section. Now, this is an interesting one because this is a very last minute um, section. So, uh, Gordon, yesterday, Australia, 2am, you attended the Fashion Declares panel. I emphasize 2am because that is a late time, but it's all forgiven. Um, so I'll just do a quick intro to Fashion Declares really quickly. It is a bottom-up movement of individuals in the fashion industry that aim to share the best practice, learn, and take effective action in a social, ecological, and climate crisis. This movement is led by uh, Sophia Mini, who hosted the panel event uh, yesterday based in London and other fashion leaders addressing the crisis as well. This panel was about how to promote transparency and accountability in the fashion supply chains, as well as what governments uh, mean for society and how they should contribute to addressing climate change. The panel included six speakers, including our guest, Gordon. Gordon, yesterday, you made a very strong point, which you've also um, said again today in this podcast um, during your presentation about how important it is for the consumer to see the impact they make on selecting their clothing products as easily as they can see the price tag, which I thought was a very strong point because in reality, when let's say I see a dress, the dress costs $80. That is easily explicitly said to me rather than what has happened to the dress, what made it, what are the supplies and the materials that have been used, the labor as well to make this certain dress. Um, you've already touched on it before, but I'd like to hear more about your insights on how consumers can be more aware of the impact they're making, but also how this um, this, this type of um, impact can lead to circular economy as well, which is a very important aspect. Yeah, so, um, you know, Fashion Declares, I mean, Safia Mini is um, uh, somebody who's been involved in promoting sustainable fashion and particularly workers' rights for a very long time. She founded the brand People Tree a long, long time ago. I don't think she's involved with it anymore. <clears throat> she also features in the film The True Cost, which was uh, something that people might want to look up if they, um, it's a film made following the uh, human rights tragedy in Bangladesh in 2013 when 1,138 um, people working in a factory lost their lives when the factory collapsed. Most of the workers in the factory were working in fashion, mostly for um, international brands. And that um, spawned a, a number of responses, including the fashion revolution movement, but also the True Cost film, which looks at the true cost of fashion on people and the planet and I strongly recommend it. Um, and so Safi has moved on to try to get fashion activists and fashion business people to um, move much faster on uh, these issues, particularly climate change, but also the social issues um, that we're concerned about. And so in terms of your question about um, how can the consumer know and the impact on the circular economy, um, I guess, I mean, one of the key issues about environmental impact is the impact of our consumer choices, but here in particular, clothing choices on resource use. The world has finite resources um, and processing waste is like takes up a lot of land and also leads to um, greenhouse gas emissions. And so um, we use something like four times as much clothing and textiles now than we did 20 years ago and projected to grow by another 20 or 30 percent over the next couple of years and so textile use is growing much faster than population and that leads to enormous amounts of waste and so um, there's a number of possible responses one is um that we can make as consumers is to think about whether we need things and one really common test that people recommend is to say when you're looking at a, uh, an item uh, I guess there's there's two rules one is like go to sleep look again tomorrow and do you still want it um, and the second one is ask yourself will I get 30 wares out of this item so if you can get 30 wares out of the item and you think okay I will wear that looks like it'll last for two years and I'll wear it you know at least once a fortnight for those two years maybe you've hit the the, the target once every three weeks would probably do um but if, if it's not the case maybe you need to think about alternatives and so this is where the circular economy comes in and we're looking at things like um resale and rental so uh rental's a good option for the kinds of things that you're probably only going to wear once a prom dress or um 
you know, a super outfit for a job interview or whatever that you're probably not going to wear once or you're not, you might wear twice in a month, but then you're going to move on. Um, obviously not a great option for underwear. Um, so, um, uh, and then resale might be an option for something which, you know, you, maybe you, the size changes and it doesn't fit you anymore or um, you bought it and you wore it twice and you actually hate it, um, but it's in perfectly good condition. So, you know, we, we definitely uh, advocate people using clothing swaps on an informal local basis or um, app-based solutions like Depop or whatever to, um, to, you know, sell your wardrobe, so to speak. Um, and then the third thing is fixing stuff. So things that you like and you wear a lot and they've got a lot of life left in them, but they're missing a button or the seams coming undone, um, either learn to fix it yourself or find somebody who can fix it or choose brands that offer repair services. I mean, I always buy nudie jeans. They rate four out of five on good on you and they have a repair service. So I've taken my jeans back and they've sewed them back up again. And if they can't do that, they'll take them back and, um, you know, you can buy some new ones. So, um, you know, there, there's a few things here, like choosing long-lasting clothes, um, making use of rental and resale where it's appropriate, learning to repair um, or finding a local repairer. Um, there's a few interesting apps coming out. I'm not so sure about in Australia, but there's a great app in the UK and Europe called Save Your Wardrobe, which is really designed to connect you to services that can help you look after your clothes and then um, dispose of them in a, in a environmentally friendly way when you no longer have a use for them. So um, that's from, you know, our individual choice as a consumer. Um, there's a lot more work to be done in terms of circularity as a system, however. I mean, we have a situation at the moment where people give clothes to Vinnies, which is great, a good start, but a very big percentage of those clothes don't get sold and end up having to be either because they're not in condition to be sold or just don't turn out to be popular. A lot of them are fast fashion brands, which, uh, um, you know, are either out of fashion, and too many of the same style for enough people to buy secondhand or aren't in very good condition. And a lot of that stuff that's given to Vinnies ends up in, um, you know, down cycle to other uses, whether that's being turned into rags or used to be shipped to other countries to sell, but that's those markets are flooded and all those markets don't want that stuff and they want to have their own fashion industry, clothing industry. Um, so I think it is incumbent upon us to avoid waste, but we need some system solutions as well. So there's a very interesting projects in terms of um, being able to recycle clothing. Um, one of the problems with recycling cotton at the moment is that recycled cotton is not as strong fabric made from recycled cotton is not as strong as fabric made from virgin cotton so um you'll often see when people are using recycled cotton contact that's only 20 30 40 percent of the garment um another problem is that a lot of products are made from a polyester cotton blends and that can't be recycled per se so you need technology to separate the cotton from the poly which is possible. There's a great Australian company doing that. There's some European, but there's a lot of work to be done to kind of build these systems. And so we probably need some incentives from government to, to get these systems to manage waste. So I think there's three strategies. One is just find ways to buy less. And so um, action to combat that kind of marketing, which you were speaking about earlier in terms of um, pressure to adopt fast fashion. Um, you know, there was a proposal in the UK to, to introduce a, a, a small tax on garments to fund recycling initiatives. So I think, anyway, the first one is to kind of bring down that over-purchasing. The second is to uh, train ourselves as consumers to, to make wiser decisions, both when we buy, but also when we end of life of the clothing that we have purchased. And then thirdly, I think there's some infrastructure needs to make the post-use recycling more effective. And I think what's a really good point is um, there are some uh, clothing that may display the, I don't know if you can call it ingredients to the um, creation of the clothing. There might be some various materials that might not be eligible to be recycled, which is unfortunate because as from a consumer's point of view, I'm not sure about you guys, but not many people read what's there. Because first of all, the text is small. No one will be able to read it. And secondly, I don't think it's the most paid attention um, feature on a product, if you will. Yeah, which, which is where, which is where uh, a properly operating take-back scheme is a good thing. Now, I know that 
you know, where a take-back scheme is just a way to get you to spend more money, that's bad. But if if um, brands can kind of take responsibility for dealing with that themselves and say, yeah, buy this stuff and when it's really worn out, we'll take it back or, in fact, we'll take anything back um, and they take responsibility for getting that into the recycling infrastructure to increase the chances that something would be recycled. However, um, if you are prepared to look at the label, then, um, you know, you've got a sort of hierarchy of of uh, materials. You want to buy things made from organic cotton or linen or hemp or it's organic hemp, organic linen at the top, organic cotton tensile, ordinary linen next, um, recycled polyester somewhere in there, and then right down the bottom, anything made from plain polyester or um, a polycotton blend, probably try and avoid that if you can. Um, and then business as usual cotton is pretty bad too, so uh, that would be low on your list. That's an interesting intake and something to, to pay attention to. Definitely. Uh, just reflecting on what you've just said there, Gordon, I, I, I kind of think about my own consumers' choices um, right now um, and like while reflecting on um, your response, um, I, I've thought about even when you're trying to reduce your own waste um, and, and you're thinking of or whether you actually need a cloth, like uh, a piece of clothing or something like that, I think even talking to your friends that are similar sizes to you or have certain pieces that you think um, will look nice on you, I think having um, exchanging clothes and letting your friends borrow um, your clothes would be a good good way to um, reduce waste and also reduce costs because, you know, they're your friends, you're not going to charge them. Um, and, and I suppose I think with that culture, um, it, it just comes up, comes with initiative. It might not be the most um, easy thing to talk about with your friends, but um, it, it's just a step in the right direction. And if they say no, they say no. Like, what, what else can you do, right? What What do you think about this, Angela? And how open would you be to, to swapping clothes with your friends? I have done it before with many relatives coming from a big family. <laughs> We're always bound to swap clothing. And um, I have a friend as well who has a very similar, not completely similar, but similar um, fashion sense. And we don't have a problem at all with swapping clothes because I can trust that she got it from a right place. And I, I'm all for it as long as it's kept in a safe condition. It hasn't been... Um, used too many times gordon when you mentioned not swapping underwear that's totally fine (laughs) (laughs) that was a joke (laughs) Uh, um, in terms of like t-shirts and even hats or of the like i think to me that's totally fine um and gordon i just want to make one more mention um about the vintage stores and vinnies if they have too many clothing um whether it's in a store or of the like, it will just be sent out to the landfill. And I've had friends say to me, oh, I'm going to be donating this to this vintage store, this um, this Vinnie's. And I say, no, don't send it there because most of it will just go to landfill. And um, you make a very valid point on, on that. And I wish for more people to also become more aware of what uh, can happen after you donate clothes and of the like as well. I think um, you have to be careful, though. I mean, there's a hierarchy, which, you know, find a way to keep it in circulation if you can. Um, but donating to Vinnie's is better than putting it in the bin, right, because there's a chance that it will be, find a home. And Vinnie's probably, it's probably more likely to end up in the recycling stream if it doesn't find a home at Vinnie's than it does if you put it in the bin. So, um I mean, obviously, if something is, you know, it's made from natural materials and it's not going to go anywhere, then by all means, compost it. But um, I, I think putting it in the red bin is a bad option compared to almost anything else. Really good point. Just moving on to our speed round questions, Gordon, um, they're, they're just a couple questions that you just you just got to go for it, like just whatever comes to your mind. All righty, are you ready? Yeah, well, you know, as you know, I was up at 2 o'clock last night, so maybe not very speedy, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> All good. All righty. What advice would you give to your younger self? <laughs> Have fun. Have fun. Be brave. Uh, take take the chances when they're there. 
Okay. Um, second one is you touched on it previously, but this is a speed round. So what is one tip for consumers that would want to conduct their own research into finding out whether their favorite fashion brand or a trending brand is sustainable and a bidding to environmental efforts? Read the very useful blogs offered by people like Fashion Revolution, Good On You, Fashion For Good, um, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, etc., etc. Um, reliable sources of information about what really matters when it comes to sustainability and social impact. Perfect. Sure, you want to do the last one? Awesome. Um, so finally, where can listeners go to learn more about you, Gordon, and your organisation? Well, I think obviously we'd love you to go to goodonyou.eco, which is our website, which will also point you to our directory and to our app if you're interested. Um, I guess you can find me on LinkedIn if that's what you really want to do. But I'd say go to Good On You. would be much more fun than going to my LinkedIn page. <laughs> no worries. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gordon, for um, your time today. I, I think I learned so much. I don't know about you, Angela. I think we've had a really good discussion that's touched on multiple different areas and I've learned things that I didn't think I was going to learn. Um, I, I especially liked uh, the resources that you just mentioned there, um, learning more about Good On You's rating system and this film that I really want to check out that reflects on the true cost of fashion. Over to you, Angela. Yeah, and it's interesting because when Shri and I were organising this episode, we had so many questions. We could not fit any question. Um, we also want to touch base on consumer choices, but... We've covered enough for today's episode. Um, maybe that can be featured in another one, part two, if you will. Um, but definitely this episode and hearing your thoughts, Gordon, have really opened um, our eyes to what the actual fashion, fast fashion um, phenomenon is and how it can create impact, but also how can consumers make their choice. So thanks to you, Gordon. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Gordon. What do you think? Gordon was incredibly knowledgeable in not only the current trends of fast fashion, such as greenwashing, but also offered many insights into how to shop more sustainably and ethically in our current society. If you're new to Greenfluence, thanks for joining us, and hopefully you feel inspired to listen to our previous and future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you for listening in again. We really appreciate it and are so excited to grow our Greenfluence community. If you'd like to get in touch and become a Greenfluencer, check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. All the links to our socials are in the show notes. We'd appreciate if you leave us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And we'll see you next time.